All right, welcome into another edition of Designated for Assignment on uh, Labor Day Monday and the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, as always, we how many times have I come on here on Sunday or in this case Monday, but it feels like Sunday and, you know, talked about what an eventful week it was and, you know, some stressful games and some stressful moments, some stressful situations and figuring out a way to win baseball games more often than not. And that really sums up the last seven days of Toronto Blue Jays baseball. You look at their record and and they're right in the thick of things in a playoff race. They're a half game back of the really slumping Texas Rangers. It's, It's hard to put into perspective how much of a collapse they're in the middle of and that four game series in a week at uh Rogers Center between Texas and Toronto is probably you know not de- not definitively but is probably going to be the deciding factor you would think in who secures a wild card spot and who doesn't but they're really slumping and the Blue Jays are doing enough to cut into the gap you look at Saturday against Colorado, you wish you would have won that ball game after leading five, nothing, but you're a half a game back. You found a way to win against Oakland to start off the series. And since losing two out of three a week, a week ago, we were sitting here talking about what a deflating loss it was against Cleveland. And uh, they had another kind of deflating loss, some really, inept moments against Washington in the middle of game of that series, but they've won four or five since. Yeah. It hasn't been the prettiest in the world. There have been uh, some issues from the pitching, the hittings hit at Coors field. They scored at least seven runs in all three games. Pitching kind of struggled a little bit, but they did enough to win all uh, to win the series, win two out of three. They took two out of three against the nationals. They're off on the right foot against Oakland at this point of the year. Nobody really gives a shit what the wins look like. Yeah, you'd love to be the Atlanta Braves going into Los Angeles and bludgeoning the second best team in the National League and, and uh, you know, it, it, I guess imposing your will. But the Blue Jays just haven't really had that this year. And it's come in spurts here or there, but they've been a team that has had to win these ugly, grinded out, figuring out just enough ways to win and you look at the game on Monday and that was basically it they struggled through the first nine innings uh really they didn't do much offensively they had three in the fifth uh they only mustered eight hits but you know opportunistic there in the tenth to score three you know Jordan Romano gives up the home run to Butler to make it six to five it's never easy it hasn't been easy at any point this season and I think back to one of the earlier points in the season, uh, Caitlin was on and we were talking about how the the team was shaping up and how things were looking. And we both sort of looked at the 2016 season as an early comp for what this team might be like if you had a contemporary in recent Blue Jays history. And that has only been solidified over the course of the season. Yes, the 2015 team had the playoff success, and the proven track record, albeit just of that one year where, um, you know, you didn't feel as though uh, a slump or a rough stretch was really that um, indicative of anything major. Whereas this team, um, they haven't had that level of playoff success. So a lot of people are quicker to really doubt and really have concerns, which I get, but this team is sort of the same that, they have had a recent history of really good offensive production 
and not so great pitching, then all of a sudden that sort of flips out of nowhere. Nobody was expecting this to be a great, one of the best pitching teams in the league and about a league average or so. And, and maybe worse in some categories, especially with runners and scoring position offense. And you're finding yourself in these four to three, three to two, five to four type games where uh, in the seventh inning and later, every out feels um, like it's at a premium. And that's obviously ratcheted up to the nth degree in September, but it's really felt like that all season long. And at this point, nobody cares because you just want to win as many games as you can to get in the playoffs. And you think back to some of the teams in the last few years that have had, let's say, lackluster, uninspiring regular season runs. The Philadelphia Phillies last year, the Atlanta Braves the year before. Let's throw the Blue Jays in 2016 into the mix. Nobody is going to remember what happened in the regular season. If you're able to get into the playoffs and do some damage. Now you would say, Oh, well, this team hasn't proven that they're capable of winning in the playoffs. Was anyone saying that about the Phillies last year? Was anyone saying that about the Braves without Acuna two years ago? Was anyone saying that about the Jays in 2016? I'm sure a lot of people were picking Baltimore um, to win that wildcard game and then certainly picking the best team in the American League that season in Texas to win that series. And that's the thing with playoff baseball. It's a it's a five game series if you're able to make it or a three game series in the case of the wildcard that. You know, it's just sort of what could happen on any given weekend or midweek series in the regular season. You know, you put some good at bats together, you pitch well, you have success. You have guys uh, go on runs like Bryce Harper did, like Jorge Soler did a couple of years ago, like a number of members of the Blue Jays did in 2016. Um, then you have an October to remember, and the six months of rigors and grind and stress for the team, the organization, fans, everyone that's associated just washes away. If you ask anyone uh, what they remember about 2016, they'll say, oh, Edwin hitting that home run to beat Baltimore and Buck Showalter leaving Zach Britton in the bullpen and leaving Ubaldo Jimenez out there. And then the Jays doing their thing against Texas Donaldson with the mad dash in game three to walk it off on the low throw uh, at first base. Nobody's going to remember that. I think it was the Saturday of the last weekend of the regular season in Boston. They won a game by one run uh, to secure a wildcard spot. And it was just like, there was a point there where it was, you were really thinking to yourself, well, this just doesn't feel like it's going to happen. And then you know, it's a new start. I understand there's more playoff scar tissue here. This this group hasn't won a playoff game yet. They came up short in 2021, obviously, when a lot of people felt that they had the right mix uh, if they were able to get in. So it's a little bit different. They didn't maybe have the same confidence or swagger that the 2016 team had with a lot of those holdovers from 2015 and the run to game six of the ALCS. But I just think that, yeah, if they miss the playoffs, we're obviously going to look back at a number of things and a number of games. You'll think back to them blowing um, a five nothing lead on September the 2nd against the Rockies. And there'll be plenty of uh, op- opportunities to really postmortem and go through and get into the weeds uh, over why the Blue Jays were, were not able to live up to expectations and why they flopped and why they missed the playoffs. But if they do get in, and they have some level of success, 
then six months, a year, five years, 10 years from now, if they have enough of a memorable October, you're not going to look back on that team. And some, when somebody asks you about the 2023 Blue Jays, you're going to think about, oh yeah, they couldn't hit for shit with runners in scoring position in the regular season. They drove me nuts. It was horrible to watch them. You'll remember what might transpire in the postseason. So at this point, um, it's not a situation where I'm really going to fine tooth comb wins. Yeah, they're not pretty right now. It was not pretty against the A's. Most of the wins, the two wins against the uh, Rockies weren't the prettiest in the world either. But at this point of the season, you don't ask how, you ask how many. And the Blue Jays are right now doing enough in these situations to win since that Cleveland series. And they have to continue getting it done. You know, I think that you would want the Astros. I understand that the Blue Jays have the tiebreaker over the Astros. So maybe some people would say, oh, well, better if the Astros come back to the pack a little bit. And then if there's a tie, the Blue Jays get the tiebreaker. I think you want to surpass Texas leading into that series next week. And if you're in a position where you have a one to two game lead and you can find a way to win three out of four at home. Yeah. There's still stuff that can happen. You know, you can fall on your face against the Rays or the Yankees, but you're at least putting yourself in the driver's seat to make the playoffs. And if you take care of your own business, you'll make the playoffs. You don't have to rely on somebody else doing the job for you and beating a team that's ahead of you uh, in order to close the gap. So I I think I speak for probably not, definitely not all Blue Jays fans, but I I think that Houston beating Texas, they did the first game uh, on Monday and continuing in, in the rest of this series, I think is probably the best outcome. Obviously that goes hand in hand. Uh, with the Blue Jays getting it done. And the the way that the Jays are producing right now has been surprising because it hasn't been a lot of the big star level players. And that's really been a theme, I think, for a large portion of the season. But, you know, if you had asked me a month ago or six weeks ago or two weeks ago, if David Schneider and Ernie Clement and Spencer Horwitz would be real big important contributors in September, I probably, I definitely would have said there's no way that's happening. And, you know, Ernie Clement did not have good numbers in his major league career. Yeah. It wasn't the hugest of huge sample sizes, but we're talking about a late twenties player who hasn't really done much uh, in his brief MLB time. And I wasn't really expecting all that much. And he has made me eat crow and I'm happy to eat it because he's had a lot of good at bats, put a lot of good swings on baseballs, using all parts of the field, consistently making contact, um, and really providing an element to this lineup that I think is sorely needed. So he's been huge. Uh, Schneider obviously continues to be huge. It was a little bit puzzling why he wasn't in the lineup on Monday, but especially with Belt out, uh, to have that really that presence that he has consistently brought outside of that week after his debut in Boston, where he struggled with uh, fastballs up in the zone, he consistently works deep at bats and uh, is able to do damage uh, on a pretty regular basis. Uh, so he's become an invaluable contributor and Spencer Horwitz too hit his first home run against uh, Colorado 
didn't necessarily break the game open, but he ended up having what stood up as the game winning RBI with a double in the 10th inning on Monday against the A's. And obviously uh, it's always great to see a Jewish guy on the Blue Jays, Rowdy Telez, Kevin Pilar, Sean Green. It's always great to see uh, a Jewish guy. Um, the days of me as a kid growing up playing softball, uh, thinking that the idea of a Jew, uh, of an unathletic Jew uh, being able to have success um, for the Blue Jays. Like I remember seeing Sean Green growing up and that really um, had a, a positive impact on me. And I think was part of the reason that uh, I enjoyed the game so much. And, you know, Pilar was another popular player for me, Rowdy, sort of the same way. And, you know, Spencer Horowitz, it's great to see that. And, you know, I think that he brings something that uh, like there's like a little bit of Brandon belt in him. And I'm not saying that he's going to have Brandon belts career or anything of that sort, but the way that I think he can attack the strike zone and and his plate discipline and, and stuff of that sort is somewhat to me reminiscent of what makes Brandon belt really good. And, you know, I think as long as Spencer Horowitz, uh, you know, continues to really, I guess, accentuate the things that he's good at while minimizing some of the areas maybe of relative weakness, then I think that he can be a productive enough major leaguer. And it will not be a surprise at all if he uh, has moments here down the stretch. And Santiago Espinal had a big moment on Monday, doubling home Mason McCoy, which you know, in the 10th inning of a game that you needed to win in early September in a playoff race, Santiago Espinal doubling in Mason McCoy, not necessarily what anyone would have predicted, but that's sort of the the beauty of baseball at this stage of the season. The injury bug has really unfortunately bitten the Blue Jays at a really rough time after they skated by for the most part. It seems, you know, when Bo went down with the patellar injury, Romano had the back thing, Trevor Richards had a, a neck injury, I think it was. Kiermaier uh, banged up his elbow on the metal grate or whatever in center field at Fenway Park. Um, Bo came back, got hurt again. Chapman's hurt. They're really struggling right now with injuries. And you know, if they do end up making the playoffs, you're going to look back on early September and maybe beyond uh, Davis Schneider, Horowitz, Clement as being really the key is to them being able to stay afloat and not lose too much ground or really any ground and be able to make up ground in some cases uh, to make the playoffs. So those guys have obviously been great and deserve full marks for what they've done um, of late. And it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, when, when Bichette and Chapman presumably come back, I don't know when it hasn't, I think Bo's been doing some fielding. Chapman can't make a fist yet, as what I recall seeing the last update. So it doesn't seem like they're imminent, but they're going to go back into the lineup. Bichette, obviously. Chapman's not going to get usurped completely at third base. I I, I just, I understand that he was really struggling, but I, I just think that you're not benching Matt Chapman. You'll find other opportunities for players. You'll get David Schneider in the lineup. You'll have him... Um, at second base, you'll move Merrifield to left field. And if Merrifield continues slumping, then it's a situation where, you know, you don't necessarily mind not having him in the lineup here and there uh, to allow Schneider in at second base. Chapman will play third, Bichette at, at short, and then have your ideal outfield configuration in terms of defense with Varsho, Kiermaier, um, and Springer. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't think that those guys are 
that close to a return, but it, it will be interesting to see how it all sort of shakes out. And if somebody goes down, you know, whether it's an Espinal, because it's hard to envision a scenario where Spencer Horowitz or Ernie Clement are getting sent down if they're producing anywhere near the level that they have in, in this, you know, short sample size so far. But uh, it's hard to ignore um, what we've seen thus far. I did want to talk about Danny Jansen getting hurt because, geez, this, this poor guy can't catch a fucking break. It's, uh, you know, I, I saw some, well, he had his hand out. He should have had more awareness. And, and you know, maybe there's something to be said for that. I'm not a catcher. I, I don't, I'm not a good authority to say what a professional catcher should or shouldn't be doing in that situation. Bottom line is it's bad luck. I, you know, maybe you were in a more, prone position for something like that to happen but it's still bad luck and a lot of his injuries are bad luck he gets hit by by pitches yeah i understand that his hand positioning can be kind of close to the plate and maybe that leads to a higher number of close calls or hit by pitches but still there's a lot of bad luck he broke a pinky last year he breaks a finger this year it's really rough and it it's really i think is a perfect microcosm of Danny Jansen that he hit a home run in the game he got hurt in because sort of the unfortunate tale of Danny Jansen. It's a cyclical thing where he either slumps or is hot, then gets hurt, comes back, is hot, slumps a bit, maybe gets hurt again. And then you just sort of repeat the merry-go-round, put more coins in the merry-go-round and so on and so forth. It goes on and on and on. And the season-long numbers are good. He's got an OPS of almost 800, and he's got 17 home runs and 53 RBIs in 86 games. It's unfortunate because if he could play 120 or something in that range games, you're talking about 25 home runs and 70-plus RBI and an OPS close to 800, well above average offensive numbers great offensive numbers for a catcher and he gives you something defensively as well and uh it just is what it is and you hope that he can avoid this this string of unfortunate injury luck that he's had but this is going to be the i guess he played 107 games in 2019 then there was the pandemic shortened season so you don't count that. But in each of the last three years, full seasons, 2021, 22, and 23, 70, 72, and 86 games played, respectively. It's really unfortunate. He hasn't played 100 games. It'll be five years next year um, since the last and only time he's done it. And, you know, it's it's tough. He's going to be uh, 29 years old next year. I think he has one more year of arbitration eligibility before he's scheduled to become a free agent. Despite all of the injury stuff, he, to me, is a guy that I want to have around. I, I don't think you're talking about a super long-term, lucrative extension contract type situation, but I think Danny Jansen's the type of guy you want to keep around. I, I don't imagine that his skill set is, especially at the plate, is going to drop off a huge cliff. You know, if you sign him to a four or five year extension, take him to 34, 35, something like that. Um, I don't think that his game is going to that quickly erode or fall off a cliff that you're left scratching your head. And I don't think 
it's going to cost that much. You're probably talking about somewhere in the range of, I don't know, 10, $12 million a season and for above average on the whole catching production, even with the caveat of injuries, I'm still taking that at that price tag. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, if anything with Danny Jansen, because you know, extensions haven't really been a thing. Jose Barrio signed his seven year extension with, I guess, a year before free agency and they haven't both signed to take away arbitration. Chapman did that after he was acquired, but there hasn't been a, a buying out a free agent years extension really that I can think of. Um, I guess Randall Gritchick back in whatever it was, 2018, but I don't know if I necessarily want to remember that or count that the same way, but they don't have a lengthy track record in terms of the front office, front office of doing that. And I think uh, Danny Jansen would be, a relatively stable candidate for not too long um, of an extension. So hopefully he's back this season, but I think in all honesty, he's probably going to have to make the, the, the Jays are going to have to make the playoffs in order for him to return and you'll be able to come up in a big moment when the team needs it, as he's done a number of times uh, over his career and particularly this season of uh, Vladimir Guerrero jr. The discourse is what it is. You know, people are not happy about his lack of hustle. And somebody uh, tweeted me, I think it was today, first of all, called me Jeff, which I laughed at. It's really funny when when stuff like that happens, like uh, I typo or not, um, I, I did get a real chuckle out of that. And there was basically a thought about Vladdy and Hector LeBron, the um the translator what are your thoughts on vladi and the interpreter still putting on the home run jacket is it just me or is this a sign of his inability to take coaches instructions and follow them as a team in all caps player if yes then any plate management coaching is falling on deaf ears you're i i who cares like i i don't think that that's anything to be honest um i don't think that that's some act of defiance or he's not listening to anything you know, if he wants to do his own little thing after celebrating a home run, that's fine. Um, you know, lots of guys flip their bat and have their own little unique home run uh, flavor in terms of their celebration. And if that's Vladdy's, that's fine. Uh, I don't infer that to be, oh, well, uh, he's not listening to hitting coaches or he isn't giving 110%. He, he is half-assing it. I just don't think we can say that based on something like that. But uh, I did appreciate that. And more so, I like I said, I appreciated you calling me Jeff. Yeah, there are times where the 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 I guess you want if you want to call it a lack of hustle or whatever it is, he's not running the fastest. Okay, sure. I guess I get that. But I think it's all exacerbated by the fact that the production just hasn't been there. Nobody is really going to care if you don't bust your ass on a ground ball that you're going to get thrown out on, or you get a bad judge on a ball. Yes. The, the not running out of the box because you thought it was a home run that one that's no matter who you are, you should always run on a home run unless it's like an absolute, absolute no doubter. And you can see that the outfielders not even blinking or twitching, but if the, if the outfielder is going after it, you should be running your hardest. So I, I will throw the book at him for that 
But I think, like I said, if he was producing anywhere near the level that he was in, in 2021, and there were plenty of times on ground balls where, you know, he knew he had no chance and didn't run that hard. And that's fine. I don't want to risk a hamstring pull on something like that. But when you're hitting a ton of ground balls and a ton of pop-ups and your pitch selection is not the greatest and you're having these issues, um, producing to the level of your talent. Yeah. You're obviously going to be an easier target for people looking at things like uh, effort and energy and enthusiasm and hustle and so on and so forth, which I get, but I, I, I don't, I just, I think it's selective um, because I don't think that some of the stuff that Vladdy does is demonstrably different from what he would be doing if he were producing like he was a couple of years ago and even like he was last year, there are always going to be moments in a long season. And this really hammers home how long the season is where, you know, you have some lackadaisical moments where, you know, perhaps your attention to detail isn't the sharpest, but in the course of a long season, if your production way outweighs it, Nobody's really going to get themselves that worked up about it. But unfortunately for him, really all season, but particularly the last couple of months, the production hasn't been anywhere near what it needs to be. And that leaves you vulnerable, susceptible to people tugging on the branch of, well, there's not enough. His give a shit meter is not high enough. And um, I get it, but I, I don't think that, I side on the, oh, yeah, well, he's dogging it or the effort's not there or anything like that. I I just think that this is just part of the package with him. Um, It just is what it is. I I understand that people will say that there's no excuse for some of these, and I I do agree in certain situations, but um, I don't think we'd be talking about it uh, if he was producing. Like if he had hit two home runs uh, or hit a home run and then, you know, had that double uh, had four hits, would you really be talking the same way and 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 uh, looking at, oh, well, yeah, his pitch selection still wasn't great. I don't care if your production is there and your pitch selection can waver from time to time, whatever. As long as, like I said, it, in a roundabout way, as long as you produce more than um, some of these deficiencies, let's call them, uh, pop up, then you're coming out ahead and and that's all that matters. And it's it, it, we're looking down the barrel of, uh, I don't want to call it a lost season, but a very disappointing, potentially one that makes you change your thought process of what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is and how much value he has and you know, potentially what his long-term future is, what sort of contract he might be looking for, what the relationship might be with the Blue Jays going forward, if they have a vastly different perspective on what his value is versus what he and his representatives do. That's all for the off season and beyond, but uh, we can only look at the season that has been so far. And yes, it it certainly has uh, not been up to par and it's led to questions like we see about why is he having these issues with, with pitch selection and why isn't he always running his hardest out of the box? And um, it's just been a really disappointing year and it's hard uh, to say much beyond that. Uh, Kevin Biggio, uh, I do want to say has been, you know, the numbers aren't amazing, but I, I just feel like he's really settled into a role where, um, you know, I think he knows what's being asked of him and 
He is, I think, just making the most of the opportunities that he's given. He's not a set it and forget it guy in the lineup or anything approaching that. He's going to be asked to wear a bunch of different hats. And as long as he can give a quality at bat and um, allow other players in the lineup to see what a pitcher might be working with, give some value defensively at a couple of different positions, then you're going to like what you see from him. You think to, um, I guess it was Sunday. I understand the Rockies ended up coming back to tie the game, but when the Blue Jays went ahead, I think it was a two out rally and Cabbagio started it with a two out walk. And then things just sort of spiraled from there. And and really it was a domino effect and they had a, a rare rare two out rally, especially with some hits with runners in scoring position. And then he has the left on left double in the 10th against Oakland to make it a two run game, huge hit begs the question why he was asked to bunt left on left. Uh, what was it a week ago? Was it in the national series? It all blends together. It was recent. It was stupid. And, uh, I, I just I'm going to take my chances with a hitter swinging or not trying to give himself up and give away an out because you never know what can happen. And I think that that left on left hit that he had against Oakland is proof of that. But I've been impressed. Um, I've always been, I guess, have sort of had a soft spot, soft spot for him. His struggles this year were tough to ignore. And, you know, he spent most of the year really not providing a ton but of late, really over the last, let's call it a couple of months, um, he's had way more positive moments than negative moments and is the type of player uh, that you, I think, are going to be happy that you have on your roster if you're able to make the playoffs because I think he can chip in with productive moments that don't just involve the bat. It's more about look at the play he made, uh, I think it was in the eighth inning against Oakland at third base, which has never really been his bread and butter is strong suit in terms of his positional value, save the run, potentially save the game. And then he does it with the bat as well. So uh, really good stuff from Kevin Biggio. And uh, I think it is probably somebody that uh, you can expect to be in big moments down the stretch. And it shouldn't come as a huge surprise um, if he delivers and uh, the pitching, you know, had some, some bumpy moments. Kevin Gosman wasn't great. Um, you say Kikuchi wasn't great either. He's had some not so great starts of late, but they've carried the team all year. You know, Trevor Richards walked a couple on Sunday. Jimmy Garcia gives up a home run on Monday. When the pitching has been so consistently solid all year and hasn't blinked that many times, it's much more noticeable when it does. But I'm not all of a sudden just going to say that, oh yeah, I'm concerned about the pitching. They have enough of a sample size this year that... Um, I think you still take the good over the bad, but it's been nice that the Blue Jays bats have been able to score enough to allow them to be competitive in games and win some games eight, seven or six, five, as opposed to needing to win a game three, two or something like that. Um, and, and needing the pitching to be pitch perfect or, or close to it. So, uh, I'm not really all that concerned about where the pitching is uh, before we sign off here, a couple of questions. Um, are you surprised the base running in major league baseball is as bad as it, as it is. There seems to be head scratching running errors and tons of games I've watched this year. Yeah. I think you're always going to see stuff like that. I don't think on the whole that it's a huge systemic issue in major league baseball. 
the Jays have had some some bonehead moments, and I think that being immersed in one team uh, can sometimes warp your sense of reality over what is and what isn't in Major League Baseball. Like, I don't think that the Jays are significantly worse or significantly you know, I guess empty headed in certain situations than other teams. Yeah. You notice them because you're watching them, but teams make stupid plays with the bat um, defensively on the bases over the course of 162 games. But um, for the most part, I think everyone is making the right decision more than 50% of the time and probably um, much more than that. Uh, Jacob says impact of the AAA players and whether they should have been brought up sooner. Yeah, you can all hindsight's always 2020, but they've obviously made a big impact. You always uh, wonder sample size adjustments uh, from pitchers with not that much uh, video on certain players, getting a firsthand experience pitching to somebody who has only really had success or at least this season performed at AAA. But yeah, maybe they should have been called up sooner, but they're here now and they're making an impact and you just have to hope uh, that this potentially continues. Uh, Rob thoughts on calling up Barger and running with an all Buffalo bunch infield and have them bat one to four in the lineup. I mean, I I was happy to, if Barger got called up Horowitz, I think for the role makes a great deal of sense also as when the roster is expanded, but yeah, the fact that you're suggesting a one through four of, I don't whatever order it would be of Clement and Horowitz and Schneider. And if you wanted Barger up here and I'm not immediately laughing my head off, I think is an indication of the way that the season has gone, but no, I, you still want George Springer hitting in the top of the lineup. Yes. Vladdy has struggled. I probably would have bumped him down. Um, for a game but they didn't and he had a good game on Sunday he's not moving anywhere Bichette when he comes back he's not moving anywhere and Belt when he's healthy has been one of the most if not the most productive hitter since the beginning of May so you're not moving him so I I do appreciate the sentiment but um, no you're not going with an all triple a one through four um, moving forward and then uh, Herschel asked what happens to Clement when Bo comes back. Does he deserve to stay on the roster? If so who goes BGO Espinal Horowitz? He does deserve to stay on the roster if he performs. And I think it's probably Horowitz, uh, Horowitz in that situation. I think they really like Espinal's game and his contact skills and his defense. I probably, since Clement can play a couple of different positions in the infield, would favor Horowitz's bat and his eye at the plate over Espinal, but based on, you know, DeYoung getting DFA'd. And I think that there's a real strong affinity within the organization for Santiago Espinal. So if it continues on this trajectory, I would think it would be Horowitz heading down. But uh, I've been wrong plenty and uh, I'll be wrong many more times um, in the future. As always, appreciate the tweets at DFA underscore pod at Goldberg 12 is where you can find the podcast, where you can find me. As always, like, rate, review, comment, subscribe, designated for assignment, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Thanks as always for the support and for listening. I really, truly do appreciate it. Uh, It's always something I look forward to doing um, every week and uh, the support and the listenership makes it. So without you, uh, I wouldn't do it. So I, again, I, I can't stress enough how much I, I really do appreciate it. And uh, we're in, like I say, every week, this is big boy time. You, you put, you pull up your pants, put the hard hat on, go to work, 
hope for the best big week. You got a couple more against the A's. You got a three game series at home against the Royals. Then it's uh hell in a cell against uh, the Texas Rangers four games at Rogers center should be uh, a very exciting, entertaining, stressful, I'm sure aggravating at times week uh, in blue chase land, but uh, we wouldn't take it any other way as always appreciate you listening. We'll be back next week. I'm Josh Goldberg. And thanks as always for listening to designated for assignment.